Gold, still meh. Oil, interesting. Taxes, not fun. Gun control and social media in America. We'll talk about it. Computer chip shortages. Bill Maher, China. Biden, China again. Overdose deaths and the markets, of course. All this on episode 110 of Bizarro World. I am your host, Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. Mr. Hodge, are you still fighting the Fed? I am always against (laughs) uh, unnatural forces in the market, of course, uh, especially those that exacerbate uh, wealth inequality knowingly and uh, tell you differently to your face. Um, Yeah, I'm still fighting the Fed. Why? I like it. Folks, you got exacerbate wealth inequality all within the first two sentences of Mr. Hodge speaking. I tell you. I tell you, the brilliance. No, listen, I ask um, because the Fed doesn't seem to care if we're fighting the Fed or not, right? Powell came out this week again and basically said, look, I have members within the committee that disagree with some of what we're doing, but it doesn't matter what you think about inflation. It doesn't matter what you think about um, the deficit, which he said, you know, we don't even need to look or consider um, balancing the deficit or even addressing it right now. It's uh, it's time to just hold rates until 2023, which again, he believes he can control. I think the market's going to have something to say about that before 2023, but we'll see. Um, but again, we keep saying the same thing, but the same thing keeps happening. I think it's, it's, it's the most predictable monetary policy ever. And we're seeing with the Biden administration that it's the most predictable, um, you know, fiscal policy as well. I mean, they're uh, proposing a $3 trillion infrastructure bill now that in part will address climate change amongst other things. And so, you know, it begs the question, um, how long can you fight the Fed and can you fight the Fed on policy, but still make money in principle yeah i mean i was answered the question idea ideologically right um i'm against and opposed to the fed how do you fight them in the in the market is another question if you want to be uh solvent and have capital and asset appreciation um but you just have to be able to uh read the tea leaves or listen to people who can you know read the tea leaves and and apply systems and and metrics to it because uh the quote-unquote officials or representatives or whatever you want to call them like jerome powell are just gonna uh not give it to you straight or outright lie i mean what was his quote this week um i know he had one about bitcoin but he was talking about inflation he was saying um inflation will be neither particularly large nor persistent and um, that's great, except inflation has been particularly large. And inflation, if you look at it as expressed in the commodities that you and I have been talking about for going on a year now, right? And so um, that's how you uh, fight the Fed. And, you know, I guess, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so if you can bank coin on, you know, copper at 10-year highs and, and oil reinflating to, to 60 bucks and, uh it, uh, other things then 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 that's how you quote unquote fight the the, the fed otherwise the, the fed is going to fight you in terms of um erosion of purchasing power etc agreed agreed let's talk gold um we're recording this a day early today i was fortunate enough to get the pfizer jab in the arm um for a second time and so we're going to start putting those um those those vaccines to work here shortly. So you're 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 hearing this, and it's Thursday afternoon, folks, for all of you listening on Monday. But you know, gold right now it's at seventeen twenty seven. Silver had an interesting trading day. It actually broke down to twenty four forty one, but bounced back almost immediately and is back above the twenty five level. Anything there on the commodity side, and then I want to talk drill results for several companies because I think we're getting you know, what's a pretty unique setup in some of the better gold names because of because of assay results that have been delayed for months on end. And we're finally starting to see some of those trickle in. But with the pullback in the gold price, we're not really seeing the companies take off the way that they would were gold higher. And that's an opportunity, I believe. Not a lot there for me. Um, commodities still looking healthy. Um, 
you start to pick them apart individually and then you have different stories and, and narratives. But across the board, I think copper based metals still looking healthy. The electric metals um, still doing well. Um, gold, yeah, quote unquote, pullback. I mean, it's back above seventeen hundred dollars. <laughs> Uh, an ounce, the earnings reports can continue to look good. And so there's there's lots of opportunity there. Um, copper specifically, I was, the, some of the bigger names have sold off is what I was looking at this week, like uh, Rio Tinto, for example, and, and that's yielding like 6%. And so uh, you can buy Rio Tinto after a bit of a sell-off or consolidation here, lock in 6% yield, and you're sort of double dipping because you're going to get that well, at least I would expect to get the the capital appreciation plus the the dividends. So um, no, uh, I can't tell you when gold is going to turn. As far as the rates are concerned, that's that's sort of the the piece of the puzzle that I that I think is still uh, not troublesome, but um, that I'm questioning. The rates got to one and three quarters percent, and and they turned around in in short order. Um, but the correlations haven't had time to catch up. So I think we still got to wait until there's more volume in the system. And by that, I mean after Easter, because um, right now I think things are just sort of just floating around all willy-nilly, to use a technical term. I absolutely agree. I think we have a little bit left before we get that next leg up in both the junior space and the precious metals space, again, which presents an opportunity. You know, one company that is responding to drill results, and let's just highlight it right off the bat, is Gold Bull Resources. Um, It announced some results here a few days back that were absolutely spectacular. Um, Initial initial very first hole at Sandman from this round. Of course, this is a project that Newmont had and Cherie Leiden, um, brilliant CEO of the company, you know, was able to kind of finesse her network and and bring that asset into Gold Bull with a very first drill hole hit, 144.8 meters of 1.67 grams per ton gold. And it's shallow from 65 and a half meters that included a 6.1 meter intercept of 10.75 grams per ton gold and 97.5 meters of 2.23 grams per ton gold from 96 meters. Mineralization is open at depth. It appears to be almost entirely oxidized. Um, just fantastic work <laughs> and, and, and in a heck of a way to start a drill program, right? So... Any thoughts on, on on the news there? The stocks responded well. You know, it hit a low of like 36 cents last week and it's pushing 50 cents as we speak. So that one has responded um, on good volume. Always good to see the, the market respond to uh, drill results. And when you're you're structured in a way that allows that, it, it, it helps. Uh, that company has been vocal about their uh, goals of building their assets this year. And so I think uh, not only do the results speak for what they are in and of themselves, but I give a little bit more credence to that uh, target of, of building those ounces as well. Agreed. Agreed. I talked uh, assay delays. The labs were backed up, backed up for months. And I think, you know, two companies that really were affected share price wise and momentum wise, and we've talked about them in the past, um, New Nevada Sunrise Gold and New Placerdome Gold, which collectively own 100% or the right to earn into 100% of the Kinsley Mountain Gold Project. It's a project I've liked for a very long time. We finally are starting to get consistent results, and it appears that's going to be the case moving forward. The release from the 23rd outlined a 24.1 gram per ton gold intercept over 4.6 meters. They announced 11 holes. It's important to note three of them had fantastic numbers. The other eight were misses, but they were misses from two targets. So the western flank zone to the north, that was a miss. That's It's clearly open to the east. It's clearly open to the west. Up north, not so much. And I think, you know, in fairness to the company, it's one, essentially blind drilling because, because of the de- delays with the labs. Um they, they, they weren't able to get results and kind of turn the drill, right? They're making it up as they went. So I expect more misses, but I also expect more of these types of numbers, not just for the deeper sulfide stuff, but also for some oxide targets. And I think, you know, I think we're supposed to hear results according to New Plasterdom Gold next week on some of the oxide drilling. And again, folks, if you're listening to this on Monday, the stocks haven't really responded to the drill results. And so it'll be interesting to me what we get next week if we get something and then what the market does with it. A lot more holes to come there. 27 holes 
still still pending, including core holes, uh, advertising it as a, a new discovery there. Um, and so I think those are going to be exciting. I think there's, uh, well, I don't think, I, I'm pretty sure there's been whispers behind the scene from the partners, the, some of those that originally drilled that project that are keen on these results. And it'll be interesting to see how this all comes together with um, all the entities that are uh, involved because it seems like it's got a lot more to give. And um, as you say, things are going to get exciting here as the spring continues and uh, these assays start coming out of the labs. And again, just some context for everyone out there. At its peak, Kinsley Mountain commanded a market cap of over 250 million Canadian. Right now, <laughs> the combined market value of Nevada Sunrise Gold and New Placerdome Gold is right around the 31 million Canadian mark. And so that's, you know, that was with gold at lower prices. So a lot of drill results to come. Each of those companies has other projects that are, are, are projects of merit as well. That'll see some more exploration. And, you know, in Nevada Sunrise Gold's case, they have some very strategic water rights in Nevada, in the basin where companies like Cypress Development, for example, are, are looking to build a pilot plant and, um, you know, if anybody knows anything about mining, if you don't have water, I don't care if it's lithium or gold, you're not going to be mining it. So, you know, I, I've speculated in the past that those water rights alone are worth, you know, two, three, possibly four million, depending on on the suitor. And here, Nevada Sunrise Gold stands at a market cap of approximately eight million dollars Canadian. So, um, a ton of upside there. I am biased. I own a boatload of shares. I've written, I don't know how many checks. So have you, Nick, and so do you. So fingers crossed on that front, but many, many, many potential catalysts. A lot ahead for this resource pool market, I think. And so uh, continue to write checks, continue to um, take some profits off table, starting to exercise uh, warrants. And so writing about all that, of course, in the uh, premium newsletters. You like exercising warrants? I do. I do. It beats not, the, not exercising warrants, right? It beats not exercising warrants. <laughs> it beats watching exercise. Beats beats watching warrants uh, expire uh, worthless. Yeah, for sure. I like it. Um, my favorite headline of the day. We're going to pivot a little bit, and we're going to talk voting and democracy and America. I asked you, Nick, if, uh, you know, you're still fighting the Fed and, you know, you said ideal, uh, just, you know, in, 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 in practical terms, you're making money with the market and you're not fighting against the Fed, but ideologically, yeah, of course, right? We don't, we don't like the wealth inequality that, that has been, you know, <laughs> frankly caused in, in large part by the Fed and central banks around the world. But my favorite headline of the day comes from The Onion. And <laughs> the headline reads, Ted Cruz decries voting rights bill as shameless power grab by American people to control the country. <laughs> so for those of you that are not aware, um, you know, in America, we talk a lot about democracy and, and our republic and ways to make it better. And, you know, you love the country. I love the country. We have a lot of work to do. Um, but I can tell you, you know, from someone that, that that has parents in Mexico and a part of Mexico right now that's undergoing a lot of turbulence. And by turbulence, I mean violence. Um, it's, it's, it's really nice to have a country that, though very, very corrupt, at least does the corruption, you know, in a less uh, less consequential way as it relates to violence on a mass scale, right? And so um, the, the Democrats in this case are looking to vote on a bill that makes it easier for people to vote. And you would think, you would think that this is something in America that would have bipartisan support because if I'm a Republican and I put my best guy or gal up there, I want him or her to have a fair shot. I don't want people to only be able to vote up until five o'clock when most people get off of work after five o'clock. I don't want to make it difficult for people to get to the polling station by just having two polling stations within a hundred mile radius, um, which of course, you know, excludes anybody that doesn't have transportation. Um, 
And these are all things that are happening in this country right now. We're actually having a partisan debate between Democrats and Republicans about giving people access to vote. So the Brennan Center for Justice is a nonpartisan independent organization that analyzes election rules. And it's found that state lawmakers have filed 253 bills, 253 bills with provisions that restrict voting access in 43 states as of last month. That is insane to me. Now, in fairness to the Republicans, are there issues in that 800-page you know, legislation um, that, 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 that I'm sure should be addressed and are valid concerns? Absolutely, like there is with every bill, right? Um, but man... This, again, just forget being a Democrat, forget being a Republican, forget being a Libertarian. As an American, we should be offended. You should be offended. People should be offended that we have a government in power that can't agree on whether we should have better access to vote and modernize the way that we vote. It's insane to me. Any thoughts, Nick? Yeah, and I'm no... Uh, voting and districting and gerrymandering and electoral college expert. And so uh, I'm not going to have a real, real nuanced opinion of this. But of course, um, you should make accessibility or access to, to voting as easy as possible. I've even talked about uh, direct democracy via uh, Internet several times. And so and we talked about over the course of the past year, as we had to do the mail-in voting because of the virus, how um, I, for example, didn't know that some states had just mail-in voting by default because I moved to to Washington and that's how they do it here. But in Maryland, you got to go stand in line for hours at a, a high school or outside of high school if the line is that long, which it typically is. And so uh, very different in, in different parts of the country. And then just a couple of weeks ago, I think it was Georgia, the state of Georgia, that was having um, uh, proposed some some rules that to make it even harder uh, for, for, for people of color to vote. And so not only was it already so hard to vote uh, in some places in Georgia that, you know, there was uh, volunteer organizations and, and volunteers that sprang up to give people chairs and uh, food in line because the lines and the wait were so long. They were even trying to uh, make that illegal, right? Like line warming and, and, and helping people out that were waiting in line for so long. So that's how far they're trying to take the law to restrict access to the vote, which is just uh, insane when you think about it. I mean, that was like Jim Crow type stuff, right? And that's uh, what everybody was calling it. And so this week you have it at the, the national level, level with Chuck Schumer asking his uh, fellow senators why they're so afraid of uh, democracy. And so, um, again, you know, I think, you know, both sides use districting, et cetera, uh, to their advantage. But you got to make access to the ballot as as absolutely uh, easy as possible. And of course, you know, going back to your onion headline, that's exactly right. Uh, right. Because the politicians uh, are the ones that like to keep the control right once they're in there as evidenced by uh, how they write laws for their uh, cohorts and as evidenced by how they entrench themselves once they're elected to office entrench and enrich, I should add. Mm. Mm, and that's a major, major point of contention here. Democrats are looking to to change campaign finance laws that would prevent pools of dark money from coming into either party. And again, you would think that this would be common sense for everyone, for every single American. Um, you shouldn't want pools of dark money to be allowed. Um, I, you know, I, I frankly believe there should be limits and term limits on on how long you can serve and you give us your best ideas in six years and then you got to go. This is not a career choice. This is, you know, if, if you're going to be elected to the House, the Senate, it's to serve your country and make it better. And I don't need 40 years of your ideas. Give me the best ones you got in six years and then get out. And then give me fresh blood and give me fresh thoughts and give me new ideas. Um, and, and, and let's reevaluate things, you know, at that time. But, you know, we're obviously far, far away from term limits and campaign finance reform. And we can't even agree that dark money shouldn't be 
allowed um, to affect, you know, the war chest of politicians around the country. Crazy. Crazy. We're silly, pe- we're silly people. We are silly people. And uh, there were a lot of silly people um, this past week. <laughs> I won't share on air because I don't like to be a bully. And I was blocked. I was blocked on Twitter this week. Oh, no. <laughs> So, but, but I will say this, um, you know, last week we talked about the shootings, the Atlanta spa shootings that consisted of, you know, mostly Asian people of Asian descent and uh, how horrific that was. And, you know, we weren't even um, completely done, or I wasn't at the very least, completely done processing that um, before, of course, we got the horrible news out of Colorado. Um that that you know, ten people were killed in broad daylight um, at a Colorado supermarket. A uh, guy went in and uh, uh, you know wore a purple smock and a white face mask and uh, started firing away with an assault rifle. And so immediately, immediately, um, you know, I, I I just tweeted. I I, I, I I tweeted a four-letter word. I'm, I'm trying to get better at the curse words, right? Um, I tweeted a four-letter word and said, we have to do better. We just got done talking about Atlanta, and I put the link up to the Bizarro World episode, and uh, and that was it. And you would think that would not be controversial. You would think that would be, yes, we have to do better. Like, 10 people just lost their lives. An officer who responded, who had a father of seven, he's the first one to respond. He was amongst the dead. Um, there's seven babies there that now, you know, don't have a father. Seven kids um, that don't have a father because some guy was having a bad day again and decided he was going to go shoot up people in the supermarket. And the response that I received to we have to do better, <laughs> the response was something, something, something. Stick to mining. And if I hear any crap... <laughs> I'm blocking you. <laughs> and so, you know, anybody that knows me knows you're probably going to hear something back on that one. So I fired back. And next thing I know, I wanted to go see what the response was going to be. And, and I was blocked. So I'll share that one off air. But, you know, this tragedy is, is, is we talked last week about, you know, getting back outside and things opening back up and the pace of the vaccination efforts and, and how that seems to be gaining momentum. And, you know, unfortunately, we were right last week when we said, yeah, unfortunately, it means we're probably going to start seeing, you know, a pickup in, 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 in mass shootings, which is defined as, you know, a shooting of at least four people uh, where four casualties are involved. And so, ah, look, we got to do better. I'm not I'm I'm I'm, I'm a very pro Second Amendment um, defender, but but we have to be smarter about how we own weapons. And I don't I do not have all the answers. There are some very practical solutions that I think would help. Um, we've talked about mental health. We talked we we did this last week. I don't want to even go through, you know, my my, my thoughts again because they're exactly how they what they were last week. But the people on Twitter, the second thing that happened that was interesting is everybody immediately took a position. And the reason they took a position is because this gentleman was white. And this gentleman was, you know, he killed a cop, killed nine other people, got shot in the leg and was able to be taken alive, right? They, 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 they walked him out. And so, of course, we've all seen, you know, the, 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 the Tamir Rices, the kid that was, you know, at the playground with a BB gun, a fake gun, 13-year-old kid, cop pulls up. We saw the video. We don't, I don't need to tell you that, you know, that kid was executed. Um, never had a chance, right? Never had a chance to even say, hey, this is a toy gun or hey. I'm, 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 I'm playing, you know, there's been so many instances where people of color, um, aren't given the opportunity to even say their piece. And so with this, people immediately took to Twitter thinking, okay, white guy, white privilege. That's why he wasn't killed. I'm not saying that's not the case, by the way. I'm just saying nobody even waited to get the facts on who this guy was. And then, and then it comes out, then it turns out that, you know, the, the, the guy that did this horrific act is Muslim. And so then immediately, you know, people start deleting tweets and then it became a different discussion about religion. And so it's just, 
again, to my point initially on Twitter, we have to do better. Everything can't be about color. Everything can't be about religion. There are better conversations to have around this issue to do it the, the, the disservice that it does it when we break it down and make it political, make it racial, you know, that, that can be included in the conversation. But man, do we got to get better at talking about these things. And I know Twitter isn't the real world, but I mean, there were people that I knew that were like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like it's, you know, it's narrative based living and man, I wish we could do some more fact-based stuff. It was interesting, the media response, at least as I saw it, because what I saw was um, another shooting, obviously, the one you're talking about in Boulder at the grocery store. But what I saw was, aside from the headlines about the shooting itself, uh, renewed push for gun control, renewed push for gun control, renewed push for gun control. Like Biden's going to use this for a renewed push for gun control. And that was before I even sort of like knew the circumstances of the event. Like you say, people jumping to conclusions or wanting to uh, take control of the narrative. And I was like, wait, like how many people died? How many kids did that cop have? Like, what is the shooter's name even? And so the shooter's name is something that I wanted to touch on because I didn't know for like two days. It seemed like it was a game of hide and seek. I know we don't like to glorify the shooter, et cetera. But normally, like you'll see it trending on uh, Twitter or uh, you'll see it mentioned somewhere. But here I felt like the name was uh, being kept from us. And instead, it was like this gun control thing. And then I see the name Ahmad Al Aliwi Alisa. And I was like, oh, I see now what's happening. Right. Like you were saying, because then once the name comes out, then the story shifts to the to the to the religion thing. And and so those are just sort of sort of my thoughts. Um, it, it, clearly, they want to make a push for gun control out of this, because that's the narrative that the uh, at least the progressive or 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 more left-leaning media outlets went with New York Times, etc. And so uh, I'm not sure that that's the answer. I'm not sure. I'm still not sure what the motive was in either case, for example. And so I'm not sure of a lot of things. But um, I think the two cases are, are vastly different. Uh, I think the one was uh, more targeted. And I think the second one uh, was uh, just wanton, wanton, violence and, and wishing for death, right? I mean, the guy was wearing uh, an armored vest, I'm pretty sure. And so um, I think that you're going to see in the next couple of years, and, 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 and when I say I don't think gun control is the answer, I say that because uh, of all the guns that, that exist in the country. And so um, I think what you're going to see in the future is um, new technologies and new laws uh, about how to own those guns and about how uh, we're policing them and and scanning for them uh, with technologies that are now being developed and, and hopefully can be better deployed. But as far as uh, solving issues, uh, again, like you, I don't have the answers. It's above my pay grade. The family of the shooter... Um say that he may have been suffering from mental illness, which again, you know, we've talked about in the past about, uh, you know, that conversation and how we do a horrible job in this country addressing mental illness and mental health. And so um, he, he was paranoid. He believed that his high school had hacked his Facebook page. Um, his brother verified this. And, um, you know, his family for years have tried to, 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 to help, apparently, according to the article that I'm reading. Um, sad all the way around. Uh, my heart goes out to, to, to every single person um, that, that is affected. The same for Atlanta. The same for all of the other incidences that we're going to have um, moving forward, unfortunately, until we get better even a little bit at, at, at a combination of things, right? We can own guns in a way, like you mentioned, you know, smarter. Um, yeah. In a more consistent basis across the country. Yeah. Again, just another tough week when it comes to that. You have any good news stories, Nick? 
<laughs> you want to so ta- well, talk to me I about Bill Maher in China? Because I, I'd I, rather talk to you about the, the Brooklyn Bridge NFT because yeah. uh, that's more lighthearted than Bill Maher. Uh, Bill Maher was talking about how... Um, how we're silly people. <laughs> the, the, we're silly people and we're not competing with China, which you and I actually talked a little bit about uh, last week. But so uh, let's talk about the NFTs and the Brooklyn Bridge because this is, this is funny. So... Hmm. Um, we talked about the people, right? And we talked about the painting that sold for $69 million. Well, um, now John Cleese of uh, Monty Python fame, he's 81-year-old <laughs> comedian, he has for sale a uh, hand-drawn sketch of a bridge, and it's for sale for uh, $69.346 million if you want to buy it as an NFT, it is, of course, a sketch of a bridge because <laughs> he's got a bridge to sell you. And, and he um, did. And he did. <laughs> that's right. The current highest bid is from Jeff Bezos's foreskin. Um, and so <laughs> uh, 2021 continues to give. If you go to the uh, auction page for the uh, NFT itself, you will see the list of bidders there. And um, maybe I'll just do that real quick and see if Jeff Bezos' foreskin <laughs> is still the highest bidder. And indeed, with a bid of $35,839, Jeff Bezos' foreskin is winning uh, the bidding for the Brooklyn Bridge NFT. Um, and so, you know, what do you want to talk about, Gerardo? Do you want to talk about <laughs> bubbles? Do you want to talk about... Um, bubbles, bitches! Echo, echo chambers. <laughs> do you want to talk about uh, an 81-year-old doing good by being funny? And he says he doesn't make the jokes. He just points them out. <laughs> <laughs> I stand by a similar disclaimer, by the way. Oh, it's funny. You can't make that stuff up. Here is one. Ja Rule of hip-hop fame back in the early 2000s was involved with the festival called the Fire Festival. And if you guys recall, this was a festival that was supposed to be the creme de la creme of luxury music festivals, right? And it turned out to be an absolute disaster. There were lawsuits filed. Uh, people arrived and they were basically given lunchables and and a tent to camp on and you know the artist never showed up and it was a mess right it was a mess well he just managed to sell a fire festival painting as an nft for one hundred and twenty two thousand dollars meanwhile what gives it what gives it value you know i mean you know i saw a yeah, all kinds of tweets are getting sold now. Jack Dorsey sold his tweet. Um, yeah, no underlying fundamental value there, right? More of a, uh, a way to shift money around or more of a, uh, a bragging rights type thing, right? Because who honestly is spending 122 grand for a, whatever the fuck that was? A painting of a fire festival <laughs> in digital form. Meanwhile, I have companies like Magna Gold that are being given away right now that are spitting literal cash flow every single day. They are making 700, 650 to 750 per ounce of gold. And they're going to sell, you know, 50 to 75,000 ounces this year. And so you can do the math on the cash flow. The company has a market cap of 80 million Canadian, which is absolute insanity to me. And again, that won't last, but it doesn't mean it can't last for another month, maybe two months. Um, yeah, no, no, no. It's, 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 it's interesting times. Um, let's talk about China because I actually listened to a bit of president Biden's speech earlier. Um, and he answered the question about China and he said, listen, you know, me and, um, the, 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 the president there are on friendly terms, but I was absolutely clear that we are competitive. China wants to be the biggest and the best at everything. And um, that's not going to happen. I actually was encouraged um, because this was one of those policy issues that for me is important because I think it's of great consequence to the next generation, um, how competitive America can stay, right? And so he's, he, he made it clear that um, 
you know, America is 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 very much looking forward to 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 continuing to be uh, the superpower on the global stage that caused the shots. And so that was interesting to me how it was interesting to me how forceful he was at reiterating that message um, in the context of the meetings that just concluded and and meetings that are being negotiated um, for 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 uh, on all sorts of fronts. Um, look, I've been really critical about the technology and the IP theft that China has been able to get away with for 30, 40 years. And this is something that President Trump was actually really good about, highlighting that. Um, it was a great point. He was the first to really take a tougher stance on China. And I'm encouraged to see President Biden, at the very least in words, um, continue what he called a fair but very um, you know, direct approach as it relates to China. And then, you know, you want to tell everybody about Bill Maher in China? Well, right yeah, it. because we were talking about it last week. Uh, I was talking about, we were talking about Russia, North Korea, and China, and how I view China, and you agreed, as a more serious threat. And I've talked over the past months about how they're more unified and their um, younger generation is more unified and more patriotic. Um, and... Uh, what that means for us going forward, right? Because they do want to be dominant and, and frankly are in a, in a lot of aspects um, are toying around with a, a digital uh, yuan, for example, um, and have tried to circumvent the petrodollar. Uh, it's no secret over the past couple of years with deals they made with Russia. And so um, anyway, all that aside, uh, Bill Maher had a little skit this week, a, com a comedian's seven minute monologue about um, how we're not keeping up with China. And he used some of the typical tropes, right? He's, he showed pictures of our, our airports next to theirs and how out outdated LaGuardia is next to uh, Shanghai, how many cities they've built over the past two decades, you know, how much of their population they've lifted out of poverty um, into the middle class. Uh, you know, meanwhile, the USA is going the opposite way on some of those things, uh, wealth inequality. But his, the shtick, the, the main point of the shtick was that the U.S. is a silly people, right? They spend their time uh, quabbling about stuff that doesn't matter and not getting actual stuff done. Um, and he's obviously citing the partisan politics, but the examples he gave were <clears throat> like, it's been infrastructure year for the past nine years, right? <laughs> we, had we had shovel ready projects with the Obama administration that, you know, never got dug, right? We're always talking about doing stuff, but never actually getting things done. Even when we agree on things, and he cited how everyone wants to get rid of the penny, but we can't get rid of the penny because of bureaucracy and graft and lawyers and, um, he was talking about uh, the Dr. Seuss thing uh, the other week, which we were talking about mm. as well, and how one of the images was a Chinaman, <laughs> like an offensive image of a Chinaman. And he was like, you know who's not offended by that image? Like the one and a half billion Chinese people that are coming to eat your lunch, right? And so uh, I guess the last thing that stuck in my head was about how he was talking about in New York, Mayor de Blasio was talking about how uh, the advanced student program, like the advanced academic program, were, wasn't going to be based entirely on academics, but more of a lottery system. And so, um, yeah, when you're not like fostering your best and brightest, when you're more worried about wokeness and political correctness than saying, you know, that kid's smarter than the other kid or more driven or uh, has more potential or, or whatever it is. Um, all the way to the things that you and I talk about, right? The oligopolies the uh, corporatism, the reason things don't get done in Congress because of obvious, et cetera. Um, and then you see exactly what, what Bill Moore is talking about. And China becomes very worrisome. It's uh, one of the things after the fourth turning that is very concerning for America as a country is, as this century unfolds. And so I think it's a storyline that, that's not going away anytime soon. And, and we, in fact, do have a lot of catching up to do on things like uh, nuclear energy, which you were writing about this week, for example, they're well ahead on building those. They're well ahead on 5G. And so uh, a lot of work to do and a lot of uh, uh, societal and generational um, on the American side commitments that have to be made, you know, uh, uh, going to the moon, beating the Nazi style, right? Hmm. Hmm. 
a lot there. Um, we should put a link up to the monologue. And um, yeah, no, there was a lot of, uh, I have like everybody, right? I have my agreements and disagreements with uh, Bill Maher, but I think that uh, on this one, he was actually pretty spot on, pretty spot on. We've talked about shortages and COVID-related shortages and supply bottlenecks here in the past. And um, we're seeing it with vehicles. I mean, they're saying that, well, for those not aware, there's a global shortage of computer chips. And so, you know, everything from TVs to gaming consoles to smartphones and smart vehicles um, are being affected, right? And so you have car manufacturers from Europe to the U.S., that are now canceling or delaying factory build outs because they can't get their hands on the computer chips that are necessary to make these things work. I mean, in Australia, I'm reading an article yesterday that the wait time for some car models right now is more than six months to buy a vehicle, a vehicle they want to sell you and a vehicle you want to buy, you may have to wait six months. And so... You know, I, 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 I bring it up because I think this is something that's going to continue even post-COVID, and I think it's going to happen in the commodity space. Um, I see a situation where because of the lack of investment, because of the lack of efficiency, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. And, and of course, as usual, I think the most affected are going to be those that, are, that, 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 that aren't as well off, right? I mean, there's a premium for things and the people that can afford the premiums are going to be able to find them and source them. But um, something to watch. Any thoughts on that, Nick? Commodity shortages, food shortages, things of that nature, water shortages? I have a SPAC for you on the chip manufacturing side, but not for free in a podcast. <laughs> um, and uh, two real world examples of the chip shortage. One is, um, you know, we had to buy a, a nice Mac computer a couple of months ago for mm. graphic design for our lovely websites, resource stock digest and daily profit cycle. And that computer took, uh, you might even remember better than I, but months to get delivered. Three and uh, a half because, months, I believe. Three yeah, and a half, four months. Because yeah. of the components that were needed for the, the, Anyway, high-end computer for graphic design. And then uh, my truck, I bought a 2020 uh, GMC pickup truck that was having uh, problems with a sensor. Um, let me see if I can recall exactly what it was. A diesel particulate sensor. And it was in the shop multiple times for it. And the, the one time it was in the shop for like uh, five or six weeks because they couldn't get the replacement chip that was needed for the sensor. Um, and that resulted in GMC having to uh, re well not repurchase my truck but replace my truck with a new vehicle uh, because the the chips shortage made the truck be in the shop for so long that it qualified as a lemon. And so, <laughs> it's um, right. And then they had trouble sourcing me a new vehicle because they because because of, of the reasons that you were just describing, right? And right. so that's how it's uh, playing out in the real world. Ah. Uh. Tough, 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 tough. Our taxes are going up, Nick. And, and you know, we knew they're not as extreme as, as, as I think people projected. But, you know, President Biden is due to formally announce and outline his economic plan next week, I believe. And so it's pretty clear that the, the, the corporate tax and the tax rate for the better off amongst us is going to go up a bit. I'd love to hear your take there. My quick take is it's yes, there's going to be an increase. No, I don't see it as something that is so consequential that all of a sudden I no longer want to make money. Right. Well, that's typically how taxes are, but that's also how frogs get boiled alive. And so it's something <laughs> to definitely be uh, cognizant of, especially because it's like the gun control thing, right? It's uh, definitely a focus. I've seen too many articles and it being approached by uh, at, from too many angles for there not to be something coming. And these are just some of the things that are sort of floating around that I think are going to be grabbed and put into order in the, in the next couple of months. And so just something to be aware of. But certainly I think uh, a storyline or a narrative that's going to expand over the uh, Biden administration and one that you're certainly going to see uh, fear newsletter promos based on. So we already saw the capital gains tax uh, floated. We were talking about that with uh, Yellen. Uh, I don't even know how long ago that was now. Uh, 
talking about uh, tax and financial transactions, stock sales or capital gains. We've seen uh, this week or, or last week the, the floating of the $400,000 level. Biden saying, I can't say what it is. As you said, his plan is still going to come out. But if you're making four hundred grand or uh, more, that's your, your taxes are going to um, increase. And then... Um, and this I agree with, uh, actually, is um, we're talking about IRS enforcement, which is not a tax increase, but collecting taxes that are due that go unpaid. And it's no secret that the IRS has been uh, vastly understaffed and underfunded for a long time and um, that it's easy to hide money. Um, well, it's easy to hide money and it's easy to not pay as much taxes as you should, especially for high income earners. Uh, high, not 400,000, but like more than twice that, like million dollars plus a year. And so uh, we're seeing more reports come out now about how uh, we can increase enforcement, increase funding for the IRS, add more agents, uh, target specifically some of these practices that are high, higher hiding money. Um, and even, um, and this really gets to simple solutions, right? Um, uh, the requirement of some sort of 1099-like form for your bank accounts, right? That would have to justify up against your income on your reported tax. And so um, not that that's, uh, that's not a tax increase, right? That's sort of like a scared straight program. That's sort of like we got this tax form that says what your, what your checking account and savings account say. How do you make that line up with what your uh, whatever uh, your tax filing say, right? And so... Um, if you don't have a good tax person, get one because it's very complex. Mm. Um, and that means both uh, an accountant and a tax attorney, depending on your your, your level of income, get smart about um, uh, how to protect yourself and your your estate, your, your wealth. And um, I'm not talking about doing things illegally. There's always ways to uh, get ahead of the system and... Um, use it to your advantage, but uh, you need to know those people who can who can help you do that. So anyway, that is definitely coming. And that's what I wanted to say. I like it. And, and just to clarify, because this is an important distinction that 400,000 threshold will be for households, not individuals. So, you know, if you're making 200,000 and your partner's bringing in the same amount, you might be, you know, getting hit with a tax hike. And and again, I don't think that the proposal is extreme considering what our balance sheet looks like. I also don't trust government to actually do anything wise with the money, though I will say I don't have a problem paying, you know, the the, the top tax rate and it going to 39.6% from the current 37%. If I can actually see you doing something that's tangible with the money, right? If we're really going to build out uh, our highway system again and our, our infrastructure and, you know, our, our access to, to, to the internet and, and, and the things that we talked about earlier where China's really eating our lunch, uh, hey, the 2.6%, not a big deal. If it's just going to be wasted and we're going to continue to counterfeit money and not actually do anything with it, then I don't know why we pay taxes at all. Well, and now you get to the point where I start to get fired up. I write my check to the IRS every year. Like I'm, like I'm, like I'm I'll supposed remind to, me. Right? And, and I'll complain about it, but I know I'm doing my part. But what you start to get pissed off is when you see things like you're talking about, right? When you see senseless corporate giveaways, mm -hmm. um, when you see them, um, you know, uh, giving away uh, tax breaks, et cetera, to, to companies to build factories that don't materialize, materialize or that never offer the jobs that were first promised. Or, you know, when you see the rollout of a, of a botched vaccine website that nobody can use, for example, and then it's like, you know, and, or, and to bring it full circle, and then we can wrap this podcast up. It's like, um, when you don't have, you know, control over it, when you continue to see, you know, military spending, that's multiples above the next closest country, um, or when you see a country that's trying to 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 take away your 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 vote to have a voice in, in these procedures through uh, vote suppression acts, right? And that's when you start to think, right? Well, why the fuck am I paying these taxes to begin with? Agreed, agreed, Mr. Hodge. What are you watching for in the markets this week? Any company specific um, market action that you're looking out for? 
I'm going to talk about cardio again because mm. the results that I was mentioning still haven't uh, come out. And I saw a report from uh, Leeds Research that was out today uh, putting a $12.50 price target on the, the stock. And it's at like $4.50. And so um, they've got clinical results that are due out. I'm speaking with uh, CEO David Ellsley tomorrow and uh, we can talk more about it next week, but um, uh, Therapeutics is, is a company that I'm watching in the cannabis slash CBD space. I like it. I like it. I'll continue to watch for results from Chicano, which just made another discovery on its Soledad project in Peru. I'm, of course, eager for Kinsley Mountain results with New Placerdome Gold and Nevada Sunrise Gold. And I am really, really intrigued to see what Gold Bull Resources is able to pull off as I expect more results from the Sandman Project in Nevada. I expect those this coming week as well. So look, there's a lot to like in the market if you don't care about share price and you're looking at value right now. And I think, you know, when it comes to 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 the resource space, which is specifically what I dabble in, it, it, it requires a bit of a patient approach. But, you know, we preached this message with uranium late last year and you know, it took it took an extra quarter or two for things to really kick off, but that sector bottomed in March of 2020. And you go and you go do a 52-week chart of companies like UEC or URC or anything C, Fission, Uranium, right? Um, those companies are up fivefold, sixfold from those levels. And so, and and have a lot of runway, by the way. I wrote about it today for Daily Profit Cycle. So the gold space is, is is going through something similar. People don't like boring. Sometimes boring gets it done, and sometimes boring allows you to maximize your profits. And uh, just got to keep uh, keep an eye on the value that's being added, right? Lots of things out there to buy. We write about them week in and week out. That's it. That's it, Mr. Hodge. Pleasure as always. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This was episode one hundred and ten of Bizarro World. Be kind, everybody. Stay safe. I got to go create my new account, Elon Musk's foreskin. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> <laughs>